Material for the brain. Conversations for thinking bodies. Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of Material for the Brain podcast. My guest for today is Itai Atub, a dancer, teacher, director, and the founder of Contact Kids, a methodology that uses physical contact to develop a deeper form of communication between parents and children. I met Itai in 2007, just as I took my first steps into the world of dance. Back then, Itai was the artistic director of a unique dance school called The Group, and after I've decided to join the school's program, he became my main teacher and mentor. Itai made a very profound impact on me, on the way I approach dancing and teaching. He is an extremely playful, funny, and easygoing person, and his way of being as a teacher and mentor helped me to take myself less serious and remember to enjoy the ride. In our conversation, we talked about the current political state in Israel and Itai's involvement in that. We talked about his journey into the world of dance and the different roles and responsibility that he took along the way. We talked about his big project of Contact Kids and all the wonderful things that he has learned from it, and much more. Unfortunately, there was a technical problem towards the end of the podcast and the last five minutes hasn't been recorded. This is the part where Itai was sharing on his current offering and us exchanging last word and saying goodbye. So I've linked in the description of the op- episode to all the relevant activities of Itai. So if you're interested to learn more about him and what he's doing, please follow that. And now, without further ado, I'm happy to present you Itai Yatub. Good morning, Itai. Welcome to my podcast. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Matan. Um, I'm, I'm actually very well this morning. Very happy to see you after a long time. Yeah, I'm also very excited. You know, it's like, uh, it's already the year that my 21st guest and yeah, I've, 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 I've invited many colleagues and people I know, but you, you have a very special place in my heart because you're, you're my first teacher, you know, it's like the first, uh, relationship with somebody in the world of movement. So yeah, you, uh, I, I carry you, uh, in many situations in my heart. So I'm very excited to have the opportunity to have this conversation. Wow. Thank you. I'm I'm um, I'm I'm very happy. I remember back in the days. I have a cl- very clear um, a picture in my actually in my head the first time we met. Um, and yeah, it's been a it's been a journey together, and it's been wonderful to see how you took it, where you took it for. Um, very inspiring. Mm. So Itai, maybe since we haven't talked for a while and I, I keep seeing a little bit what you're doing, you know, through social media, but what, what is going on with you? Where are you? Where do I catch you? Um, you catch me in my house in Tel Aviv. Um, if you've been um, following me a little bit on social media, you've probably noticed that lately I've been more occupied with... Um, with activism and activist um, um, actions, political 
um, activism here in uh, Israel. Uh, that's something that I've kind of dived into in the last um, in the last year. I've been always kind of highly politically aware, uh, but the last year have been has been a really kind of um, dramatic for us here in Israel. Um, and but you we meet in a very optimistic moment for us uh, in terms of this uh, struggle um, we are holding so um, we all hope that in few days a very very corrupt and um, yeah bad government on different on many levels especially the head of it will um, move aside and a new government will come in that'll be a very very big relief um, for us Israelis and not just and this is kind of where I am at at the moment um, but um, work and and my my the things I do in terms of dance and movement and working with parents and children, actually it's also slowly, slowly coming back and finding new tracks to, to roll on. Hmm. Yeah, it's very, I, somehow, you know, I'm not living in Israel already for 11 years. And, and it's funny how this round of like the latest escalation in the situation i was really also diving into it and uh, with a big interest to converse with people i also had a very long conversation with a palestinian man that i met online to kind of you know see things from the other side and uh, and i can also identify that there is a sense of optimism in the air and it's very kind of refreshing no it's very refreshing and um you know especially when it comes to the last um, military actions happening. For me, it's really, when we talk about Palestinians, it's really, for me, it doesn't feel like I'm talking about with the other side. I feel that at least uh, on different occasions, I've felt that in terms of my approach and the way I see things, I was... At the same side with with the Palestinians, um, I feel that uh, our government, Israel in general, we, we I, I don't know if we'll dive into that, but um, we have a long, very long uh, um, conflict here in uh, in Israel with the Palestinians. It's been always connected also the to the internal political situation, but the last uh, military actions that Israel took. Um, on Gaza and on the Palestinians was for us Israelis, at least for a growing group of population here in Israel, it was very clear that it was linked directly to the political situation or the political um, uh, stress of the Prime Minister trying really in a very cynical and vicious way to gain some political power on the expense of our lives and our children's well-being. And that was um, um, a very disturbing moment for many people within Israel. Hmm. Maybe I can ask you something because 
I remember many years ago you had some kind of a satiric show. No, you did some kind of a satiric show on politics. Oh no. Uh, no, no, no um, and, and, I, and I know that you had, I don't want to ask you anything about that show, <laughs> don't worry. But I, I'm saying it because I remember that you had some interest in politics, but what made you, what made you to move this change because to really dive into activism? Because I'm saying it because I know that many, many people that I'm connected to in the realm of dance and movement people, there is a certain... Um, type of escapism of like looking at movement as the pinnacle of importance and like I'm a dancer or I'm a movement artist and like surrounding yourself in a certain bubble of of like-minded people and let the world be on its own course and what made you this change from you know like to dive into something that is you know that brings so much tension and I can just, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine it from a, also from a physical perspective, to be in a demonstration, to, like, how did you cope? What pulled you into this direction? So it's a good question. I'm, 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 I'm keeping silence because I have many things to say. Um, so I'll just start and you'll stop me whenever you, you feel it's too much. And, and and I will be I also want eventually to to connect it to to the work we are doing in in, in dance and movement and contact maybe um, it's um, it's almost impossible to grow up in Israel not being involved on a certain level I mean there are many many people which are not involved but to really be disconnected in a, such a small uh, country so small I, i'm every time i go to europe I, I i i find it really surprising how um how much people are not aware of the size of israel just to give them um, uh, a clear um idea or some idea there are p- places in israel that to go from the seashore to the palestinian border it's at many 20 minutes drive so to live or to grow up uh, to grow up in such a small country you you have to be involved at a certain level, especially adding to that the notion that eventually 95% of all people, when they are 18, they go to the army and they serve. Um, when you are 21, 22, you've had already some history, you have already some history with, with what's going on, and then you can make a choice. I want to disconnect myself, I want to get more involved, uh, but it's a clear decision. It's not like if you grow up in a very big country, it's, it doesn't come uh, across, so you need to have a decision. In Israel, it's different. I've been always um, interested because I've been, I've always believed that um, the, the, like the, the wider circles of politics influence, I would always see them um, the clear line to my personal uh, well-being and to my personal life, just considering the fact that on a movement level, I cannot move wherever I want in Israel. Um, I cannot go in many places, not just in Israel. I, I cannot go to our neighbors. I cannot, the, the idea that I can't go to visit Lebanon, it's something that always bothered me on a human level 
and it's really interesting also cultural culturally that um, we Israelis we always think west so going abroad will never be to our neighbors or going to another country will never go will never be like getting into the car and going to the north or to the east it will always go if you want to go somewhere you always go to the airport in order to fly somewhere um so i've always find it um, um very very interesting i think what happened in terms of my personal um activism or activist actions i took for me it has to do also with um in a way, it might sound um, um, silly, but with the connection of humor, which I love a lot, um, humor, comedy, I, I, I adore uh, people who know how to use um, comedy or to make comedy. I like to laugh. And when I was in, in 2008, I was in New York and a friend introduced me, introduced me to um, The Daily Show of uh, John Stewart. And it was very clear the way he was, in a very clever way, using humor and comedy to show hypocrisy and deceiving in the American media. And when I came back to Israel, I started to, to see more and more of his shows. And I, suddenly I started to, to see the way he was looking at how the media serve us the information, serve us reality. And I started to look with the same glasses, or try it at least, to look on the, uh, on the Israeli medium. And once you put on your glasses, you start to see that it's very clear and very specific the way um, we've, been, we've, been to we've been told a story. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. Many people know about it, but it's really interesting once you decide to live your everyday life looking through those uh, glasses and not just go every once in a while to see a documentary or to hear a lecture about something. You say, oh, that's right. But then you go back to your everyday life. For me, it was, okay, from now on, I'm going to ask every time a question about the, um, the motivation, the angle people are choosing when they're saying, telling a story. And, um, and I had, at a certain point, I felt it was so clear, that this, and especially in Israel. Um, we Israelis, we, have the, we, we tend to think that we grew up in a very open, liberal uh, democracy, but um, the truth is it's really far from the truth. Um, we are indoctrinized in many ways. Um, it's very difficult for us to admit it, but it's true. And you see it, of course, when you, you know, when you go abroad and you live in different places and you talk to other people, slowly, slowly, if you have this sense of self-awareness and also the, the willingness to, to, to look at where you are coming from, um, with with some critical um, um, perspective, um, you realize that um, it can be very disturbing. Uh, what you can you give me maybe uh, Itai? Could you give me maybe an example to something that you 
that comes in mind when you think about like how or the illiberal um, reality in I'll Israel. give you an example of the, something which has to do with freedom of speech um, everybody knows about the Palestinian Israeli conflict for example let's take the, the big the big the big thing the massive elephant in the room every time you enter a, a room with Israelis did you know that you will never ever hear the word occupation on Israeli media never not in the Israeli television it's almost illegal not on Israeli television not on Israeli uh, newspapers not on the radio to use the word occupation which is basically the basic state where the Palestinians are in is something you won't hear in Israel okay and when you go abroad everybody will talk to you about the Palestinian occupation but here we grow up without hearing this word three weeks ago in Jerusalem a guy, um, an Israeli guy, Jewish guy, put out a sign from his, from his window. And he wrote four, four um, words. He wrote, I'll say it in Hebrew and then I'll translate uh, because it rhymes. He, he wrote, En Kedusha Be'ir Kuvusha, which means there is no, in Jerusalem, there is no holiness in an occupied city. That's what he wrote. He didn't write freedom for the Palestinians. He didn't write, he didn't write um, Israelis are bad. He didn't write any of those things. He wrote, there is no holiness in an occupied city. Two hours, more or less, after he put a sign on his window, he got a knock on the door from the, the Israeli police asking him, demanding him to take away this sign. And when he asked... Yeah, I've seen the video. When he asked why, this, uh... yeah. And when he asked why, the police said, well, we got, we got uh, phone calls that people are very disturbed by it. And this is something you don't realize when you grow up here. You need to go, you need to have a perspective to realize that on the very basic level of um, the rhetoric, the language, um, we are being, we are being um, blind in many ways. And that's something that bothers me because I like, I like those radical angles. I like to provoke I like to get people and myself out of our comfort zone. This is, um, now we can directly connect it to, to my work with, uh, with movement, with dance, with improvisation, with children and parents even. Um, that's my interest when I, I work with people to find out what are, the, what are the limitations they are coming with and to see if I can gently, wisely challenge it. So 
for me it's clear it's the same it's the same intention when i when i dance and where when i teach or when i work with people and when i um hear the, the news or go out to the street um with a sign um mm. yeah yeah and yeah first you know i must say that you know i'm from first i re i res i really respect that what you're doing in the sense of the sacrifice that comes with it i know that it's much uh that's why i'm a little bit uh i have a little bit of um hesitation to criticize people from israel while i live abroad and because i feel like you know it's i'm doing it from a position that i i'm not sacrificing and not sacrificing anything and and that's why i'm also i have a bit of resistance when i hear a lot of european people criticizing uh, people in israel I, i get the same reaction okay i mean it's very easy and it's also important but it's easy to criticize something while you are not risking anything and and it's interesting you know that when i left israel i was um <laughs> at least on the israeli scale i was on the edge of the left uh, discourse you know with Uh, not on the edge maybe but close to the edge and I and, and I left Israel to Europe and I needed to reflect on my time in the army but the more I live in Europe the more conservative I become <laughs> and, <laughs> and and you know and now it's for the sake and like I'm I'm I'm, I'm generally a disagreeable person so I you know if you say something I'll take the opposite position to to have a conversation but but now like when I heard you so I you know I can admit you know My first reaction was like, "What it is talking about Israel not a liberal place and and I know you know deep inside that there is many things because I've seen these videos and i and i'm a, and I'm aware that the that uh that there is that there is a mix between a certain western model of democracy and a very ethnocentric uh state which is a which is a which is a big conflict and a big challenge." Um, I, I relate to what you're saying regarding living in Europe and becoming a little bit more conservative. I've been living in Europe also for a while, many years ago, and I remember it was always it was always comic for me in a way that in Israel I was always considered like a really extremist to the left, today considered almost a traitor. And every time I, I arrived to Europe, talking to Europeans, suddenly I found myself starting defending my country, and that's probably the thing I hate the most. <laughs> um, yeah, because, I don't know, because first of all, it's like, I think that what comes with our identity, and that's something that I find very challenging, is that there is an, like, this is something I, I'm, I'm still finding my way how to handle it, that I don't feel personal responsibility for the situation in the Middle East, but I know that I'm, I'm a drop in an ocean that can take up I have an individual choice how to handle it. But the moment I start speaking about politics, I'm immediately starting to defend accusations or like something that I'm actually not really responsible for. But I start to take this responsibility and, re and, and speak in terms of representation. But actually, yeah, we are, we are not doing it. We can be activists, but you know, we are not in a position. If you would be in a, in a political position where you, your decisions are really affecting millions of people, then we can talk about your personal responsibility. But 
you're just a Itai living in your life and now you're like... Yeah, but I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I want to relate to something you said even before regarding criticizing what we're doing. Um, the trick for me is try to go into the resolutions. Um, and that's why sometimes, yeah, uh, conversations or arguments, also when I go to Europe there, once they... They stay on a f- superficial level. They they won't go anywhere because people are trying to hold on to their position, and there's a good and bad. But actually, I was always very happy and inspired meeting Europeans. I lived for a f- few years in Italy when they came and they wanted to speak with me, and they knew the history and they knew why this conflict is so complicated, and that's uh, and once. I, um, I see people who actually kind of went, dived into it and studied it. It's much easier for me to take um, a lot of criticism. Um, and I'm always happy to, to, rec- to receive it. It's just a matter of how, how willing I am in order to get into the, to the discussion. But if the discussion allows a lot of information to surface, um, I think criticism, of course, is important, and, and especially when it comes from Israelis, because, you know, the notion to decide to go outside of Israel, and it's, again, about this, uh, the unique country that we are, um, deciding to go and live somewhere else, it's, um, I guess it's always challenging for many, for many people living in their home. But, for, in, but in Israel, there is another extra mile you need to go in order to decide to move to another place which inspires you and you want to try because there's always this sense of abandonment. You know, are you abandoning us? We need you. You know, if there's this sense of um, um, Israel needs... Emergency. Yeah, Israel needs its Jews. And it's such... For me, it's, it's, it's crap. And... And I live in Israel because, basically because I like living here and I like Tel Aviv to be my base, but I really love traveling and uh, a lot of my work is abroad. Uh, but there's the, the option of going and living somewhere else is always, um, is always open for me. I'm not here because I uh, ideologically believe that I need to be here. Uh, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. It's a. It's a very moving conversation. I. I feel like that on. On one hand, it's. You know, I can very easily connect into this kind of world-centric perspective that we are humans, and you know, and and I and I see the I see no difference between me and other people on a very fundamental level, and that we can cross the cultural boundaries and connect. Especially, I think that our work with dance makes it very uh, tangible. Know how how people could can be the same to a certain degree. Um, but on the other hand, I think that that's what survival instinct makes us. It it brings us back into something that is more tribal, and and I really. That's why I think that it's like, you know, I've just seen like there was one event in Vienna, uh, I think a year ago or something that there was a shooting here. And it was a, 
And a guy who I think, um, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying correctly the detail, but if I remember correctly, it was a guy who was uh, uh, Muslim and he, made, he was shooting around the first district based on uh, you know, some radical religious based. And, you know, it's, it's changed the landscape. Like suddenly people here were like, you know, like something was shattered, a, a bubble of safety. Bef like before that event, the possibility was not in the air. And now that's it. It's possible. It's possible to walk in the first district and that somebody would start shooting at you. And then you, and then people start speaking differently. You know, it's like, then you, then your, your belief in a universal uh, perspective, word-centric approach is being tested and it's much harder to hold it for a long time and and you know, I see it also from a physical practice, you know, like I do martial art, you know like when I do contact improvisation uh, it's very hard for me to open and extend my spine to the back, you know, like I'm be vulnerable when I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu I try always not to be vulnerable, you know <laughs> It's almost like we are wired to that, and and how do you? So how do you manage to? What what holds you to stay so open? Because I think that you are a dying breed in Israel, and that's what's scary for me to some extent. That you know, like as you said, like your position that I'm not that far from is already considered to be a traitor, and that's put even more pressure on on you as an individual with the sense of survival. You know, I you know how do you how do you cope with it, man? I am. It it's fascinating what you just said because suddenly this hippie kind of approach is actually um, an outcome for a complete circle probably that maybe we Israeli, Israelis are um, doing because we've been exposed so much to violence and we've been creating violence that a shooting on the street today, in a way it happens but We'll, we'll very quick go back to, to, to normal life. So in a way, it's more and more challenging to kind of get us out of our uh, comfort zone, even though I'm speaking now kind of um, in a superficial way because um, I'm not talking about the traumas and the deep traumas and the post-traumas people are living with because of the situation. But... Um, you know, there was a really um, a almost surreal moment that in the one week which we kind of, we bombed Gaza and we, we killed many, many innocent people and children, but they should, they should back at us. And it was really frightening also to be in Tel Aviv, not as dangerous, of course, but really frightening and traumatic for children. And I took my um, my daughter, my small daughter, Noga, which is actually, she's turning eight today. And I took her to the north where a group of contact dancers <clears throat> created a contact camp in a very beautiful uh, point in nature, just above the Kinneret Lake. And for one week, it was like the most escapistic event I've been into for in years. We heard that there was a mess going on and chaos in the south, and we were there in the nature dancing. At a certain point, there was a moment where from Lebanon, Hezbollah or somewhere, started to shoot missiles 
from the from the north um and there was a moment we actually heard the bombs and people were eating and suddenly we heard the bombs and we knew already that by the sound of it that it wasn't that close so we kept on eating and we went to rest and then we went to dance so we we arrived to this place that if we hear bombing but it's not as close we can continue dancing and when you think about it it's really it's crazy and but you know that it was a moment that we felt that we, there's nowhere to run to the the south was in a mess and we here, here we are dancing and we hear something is evolving in up in the northern border and what choice did we have and we chose to keep on dancing <laughs> maybe maybe it wasn't the the the, the most responsible uh, choice but it just kind of shows that we've been going through a um, some distance in terms of how much can you get us into shock and now we just feel that we want to go back to basic we want to see people and we want to to touch people and we want to to find again the the most common um things we have in common um and to and to start to work from there and um, and i want maybe to say another thing when you said before that you kind of you looked at the people at the activists people going to a, a demonstration after demonstration for me going week after week to jerusalem for, to demonstrate was the happiest moment in my week it it was corona time people were at home and a week after week i went and i met with a huge group of happy israelis happy and optimistic israelis and it gave it it was it was an event it was a performative event and it was it was healing because i went outside because as a dancer i needed space i needed to move i needed to touch people the what the demonstrations which sometimes they look aggressive and sometimes they are and sometimes they look chaotic and maybe sometimes they look even dangerous for the people who are inside of it to the people involved to the performers it's actually a completely different experience and it's an important one and it's a healthy one and it's a it's a, a generating experience so maybe just to say that maybe in, in order to inspire other people in other places who who wants to go outside them and and i think the the key is to not to be by yourself to find a group and to and to gather together and to stick together whether it's uh, on the street physically and later on through your groups and and social media just to kind of always give each other the sense of being together because being by myself i would go probably once or twice and then i don't know but i immediately i engage i was engaging with other people were engaging with other people and we 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 formed packs uh, 
and that was the um, the power that kind of drew us every week out to the streets and it was um it was a very very positive um and important experience i don't know if it makes any sense no it it makes and i, I just want to respond to several things i mean when you said about the this when i tried to imagine this scenario of you know dancing and hearing this uh, whistle of a of a of a rocket and it reminds me you know as a sentence i i heard listening to some lecture of jordan peterson talking about the holocaust and the evolution of national socialism and he says like that you go to hell one step at a time and that uh, you know like and it's obvious that when you know that hearing it from a Yeah, I had now a conversation with a friend of mine from the from the UK that she posted a video of a I think it was a European person interviewing Israelis on the street and asking them about what they think about the conflict. And many of them responded in a in a very, you know, uh uh in Europe you would call it racist, in Israel you would say they're just right wings, you know. <laughs> They just said something like, "Yeah, you know, you know, if they attack us, we have the right to kill them, you know, things like that that in Israel, it's like when you when you hear a demonstration and people shouting, uh, may your village burn in israel you you tell to yourself, "Ah, okay, these are the the right the the right wing uh people like you don't look at it as you don't see it as, oh my God, this is like fascism on the rise, but in Europe, when you see it when you hear these things and people have been living here in such a materialistic abundance and relative peace so you look at it from the side and it looks for you like oh my god like she I said why did you share this video and she told me look it's wrong that people speak like this anywhere on the world and I was like yes it's very it's very true what you're saying but it's like for me and knowing where she I know like you just you this is just touching the the surface if this is shocking you like you know uh, and and yeah and and I can I can just And I can just imagine I think that you know if I would be with you there, I think I would keep dancing myself and I would not freak out because i I do share the same background and you know i've I've wear soldier uniform and i and I know this reality, but I can understand how shocking it probably seems from the outside. There were any people who were not Israelis in the camp or it was really like yeah, it was not an event <laughs> it wasn't a moment for non Israelis to be in Israel. Yeah, yeah no I imagine I, I imagine I've just spoke to several non-israelis based in Israel yeah and the, and the, and and I think about you know like when you when you talk about going out and and grouping and you know I think that it's a it's something that relates also to a certain personality because when I hear it when I hear it and I think my default operating mode is like a lone survivor I hear it I'm like okay there is a big group crowding somewhere. I need to find a quiet place to disappear that nobody sees me anymore. So that's kind of in a way what I've done with my life. you know, I kind of went to live in Austria where you know I can disappear. Uh, and it's starting to change now with the fact that I have a family and I'm not alone anymore. and and now and now I and I think that this is the first extension that I experienced on a fundamental level of you are not alone. Your survival is always codependent with others. and And yeah, and I can assume that it gives a lot of power in those situations to realize when we are many, our voice is suddenly amplified. No? 
it it imp it amplifies and and actually it's kind of the things that keeps us going together it's not just having um um louder voice but it's really about having a voice for a long time so um and yeah and there's many things i can say about the 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 latest israeli kind of um protest many things we've learned also f- mostly from failures um yeah but we can talk about it for hours but um let, let, let let's da- let's talk about dance i said let's dance <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, no it's not, uh, so ma- maybe i'll just to bring us to shift us away because i know i can also be carried away completely with this conversation and i think especially because you are you're so involved but so maybe you can uh, take a little bit for the for our audience member who listened to this episode and they don't know you maybe you can tell a short introduction to like what have you been doing and what is the work that you're offering and we will you know we will find a way to connect you to this conversation <clears throat> the work i'm 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 doing and offering yeah and how and how did you got there you know like a bit of your background and and Mm, okay uh, so i'm i i started up dancing when i was 22 23 uh, before that i was never dancing i had like an ordinary classic israeli um trail of going to the army uh, for three years at the age of 18 i was uh, I was in a very physical and very active kind of um I had a very active um military training and and service um mostly on on um on a medical um and rescue um angle um and then like every Israeli I went traveling for a very long time very very far away from home And I think when I was in Brazil at the end of my trip in the carnival, dancing in the streets with many, many people, I felt um, a weird sensation that I need to move. It was completely physical. It wasn't, it wasn't mental or um, I felt just I need to move. And, and I finished up and I went to New York to, to, to work. That was before 9-11. 98 so there was no problem entering the states and working and do whatever you want and uh, and in New York I started dancing I went to a studio and I was looking for something t- that will catch my eye and heart and I ended up dancing hip-hop and African dance for a very long time and then I went back to Israel to study in the university history but I wanted to keep on dancing so I continued to But this time I went to classical ballet full on and I had some training in classical ballet but the big the big change uh, the big bam uh, bang in, in, in for me in the world of dance actually now I think I'm kind of celebrating 20 years for that was in 2001 when I went um, to do a university university semester. Um, studying semester in Italy in Venice where I was just kind of hanging out with my new Italian friends and not really 
not really studying, not really dancing. But uh, one day, accidentally, I met um, Caroline Carlson, which was, which is still a big, very important figure in the dance in uh, Italy and France. She's today. She's based on in on in France. I met her, and she kind of took me under her wings, and she she put me or she allowed me to enter a very unique um, dance training in Italy in Venice, which was related to the Venice Biennale. And that was the first time, two or three years after I started dancing, that for the first time I was really engaging with real professional dancers and mostly with an, an amazing group of teachers, like the, the best or the most kind of respected teachers in the world, which m m all of them I never heard of, like uh, dancers from uh, Pina Bausch Company, Bilti Jones, Wim van de Kebus, all, all those names that today people are hearing this and they're like, wow. And for me, I never, I, I didn't know, but it was like, a big revelation for me. And I think at that moment I realized that this is what I want to do in life. I want to dance. And then I went back to Israel to, to complete my studies, but it was really about dance from that point on. And I started teaching at a very early stage. Basically, the moment I came back from Italy, I started teaching um, in a dance school, in a very unique dance school that you know very well, Hakuvitsa. Uh, which is a dance school which allows people, adult people above the, the age of 20 to start dancing no matter how old they are and what background they have. So you can be a complete beginner at the age of 45 and start a dance training there. Um, and my approach was that I was always um, just kind of... Um, dragging myself and and kind of allowing reality to to um to throw me anywhere and and i'd like i i really love just find myself in a new position and try it out i think it has to the, to to do with the fact that i really have a very interesting um relationship with the notion of failure um because i failed gloriously uh, on several occasions and um, and I enjoyed it very much so I started teaching um, and what happened was really weird that two years after I started teaching um, the dance school <clears throat> I was teaching at as the youngest uh, teacher over there they were about to, to close it down because both um, managers wanted out and no one wanted to take responsibility and to take over. And when the manager called me to, to invite me to the, to the teacher's um, um, meeting where they were about to, to, um, to tell everybody to announce the closure of the school, I told her, um, I told her to wait a moment and to, to not do it and, and to give me like 48 hours to think of a solution because it was out, it was, I didn't understand how come they, they close a dance school just because no one wants to manage it or to, to direct it. And after 48 hours, I came back to her and I told her basically, you know what? I will take it. I will, I will take responsibility. 
And that's how at the age, exactly I think at the age of 30, I became the artistic director of a dance school that was about to, to close down. Um, zero experience in management and never, never been in a conflict or in a conf confrontation in my life. <laughs> I found myself in three months uh, needing to do a huge reform with another manager who came to, to support me and to work together with me um, to do a massive re re uh, reform. And that, that kind of was the first step in a very long journey in um, directing and working and uh, not just in the studio with people who wants to dance, um, but also with people who are studying and they have their things and issues and with teachers who are teaching and they are struggling. And um, I needed, I was the one who, I was the, I was the address for anything that happened. Uh, it was super intense. I learned a lot. And I did it for like 15 years. Wow. You're out? I'm out for almost wow. a year. Ah, this I didn't know. <laughs> what do you say? Congratulations? I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. Mazel tov. <laughs> um, wow. I, I went out several, several years ago, but every time there was another crisis and... Um, they pulled me back in, as as the, as the famous saying from from the Godfather. Um, but um, actually, the Corona the, the Corona period was um, I found the right moment to say, okay, I think it's enough, and um, and I left. Um, and and that's it in terms of my 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 teaching. I'm I started. As a contemporary dancer, I love contemporary. I love dancing. I love contemporary dance. I love technique. I adore ballet, and I love contact improvisation, and I love improvising. So there's nothing really that I I can say I like more. I really love all those stuff. Um, naturally, I don't know if naturally, but I became. Um, more engaging contact improvisation because I felt like I have something to give as a teacher that maybe was unique. Um, and I've been teaching contact for 20 years now. I, basically, I started teaching contact like one year after I started dancing contact, um, which is kind of what you did, Matan, and I remember that very clearly. And I really, I, I really liked it, and I really appreciate it because I think that um, teaching um, is a very important step um, for dancers who want to improve their understanding of what they're doing. It's not about just saying, "Okay, I have something I want to give to others," but it's it's a, a completely personal um, research um, into my own dancing and quality and technique as well um so yeah. you know i i want to share i, I want to sh share some stuff and it's also interesting because it might really connect to kind of why you can hold the, the the opinions that you're holding first 
you know, for the people who are listening, I think it's not clear maybe from your description how unique is this school that you are managing because, you know, just, just the fact that a person like me who never danced in their life could enter this space and that was a starting point that now, I don't know how many years later, you know, I, I became a dancer and that is not, it, there is no place in the world that you can do that because in, in any dance school, you have to come already to some extent as a dancer and the opportunity to give people access to what we call professional dance education, which I see it something very valuable also for people who are not interested to become professionals, but just the fact that there is so much body knowledge that is just not so available in any other realm. It's, it's really unique. And, and one thing that I really remember from joining this training, and that's something that I wonder like, how could you do it so easily as a director is your is your ability to uh, like you are really not territorial at all from my experience and when i say territorial because the dance world for me even though that you know it it does represent a different let's say political leaning on average and you, but still you see a lot of same pathologies happening in the dance world that you can see happening in any other communities. So I don't think that the dance world represent any utopia. But one thing that I really remember that was inspiring for me to, to, to study with you is how quickly you gave me space to grow. Because I did one year of education and I was probably very unaware of my capabilities back then. And I just told you, hey, I want to teach. And you enabled me to teach in a, a weekly class, an evening class for adults. And not only that, I remember that like three months after I started these classes, the, the school was part of, was connected to some festival, summer festival. I think it was called Contact in the Summer or something like that. And, and because I was part of the teacher's team, in the school, I was also invited to teach in this festival and it was labeled as something like the leading figures of the contact dancing. And I was like teaching three months, dancing a year. And you were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's going to be fine. And I remember, I, and then I remembered how I saw you as something unique because I didn't get the same feeling of you're welcome here from other colleagues and other teachers. I felt a lot of like, who is this young person who is like, why is he here? And you had this ability of not being territorial and, and really like Matan coming doesn't threaten me on a very fundamental level. And I wonder if it's something that the if you were thinking about it, if it's just an intuition, like what do you, what do you react when you hear this little reflection from my side? Um, first of all, thank you for, uh, for, for sharing. I'm, 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 ha I'm happy to hear. Um, For me, it was really, it's, it's really about, on a, I think the fact that I found myself uh, one day a director of a dance school uh, without, basically without wanting it and definitely without having any inspiration or aspiration to do it, um, really made me want to surround myself with uh, with good people and good teachers uh, in order to make it um, successful or even to, 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 to have it survive. Um, 
um, I was never, I, I never went into, I never started dancing in order to become a dancer. I started dancing because I felt I need to move. And actually, the first time someone, I am, um, the first time I understood that dancing can be something I can, I can be a dancer or I can consider myself as a dancer was um, when some teacher came to me after class, after like two, three years and asked me to join her project. And I was like, why, why, why is she asking me? I just want to dance. Um, so I think maybe the fact that I was never, I never came through the door of being a professional and I kind of kept a sense of just, um, curiosity about what we're doing with regardless of where it's taking us so the whole notion and and with this we basically with this notion it's still inside of me i one day i became um, a, an artistic director so i um i guess i wasn't i didn't have enough time to um to understand or to to also to adopt the approach of um being like at the at the, the at the the head of 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 some pyramid or something, but also I was never it was never my real interest, um, and I I really like uh, basically to work with people I love, and it has also to do of course with um, talent and seeing potential, and with this maybe. I want to to connect this with the the Italian story I, I told. I think my my um, my my great my biggest gratitude towards Caroline Carlson, which is eighty today, was that that on a very deep level, she realized that she was standing in front of a young man who had a passion for in order to give it a chance. And I'm really, really grateful for her for that. And I feel that in a way, I kept this kind of notion with me. And sometimes for me, it's enough to see real passion and curiosity in someone in order to allow him to, uh, to explore. Then later on, it might fail, it might, it, it might happen. Um, it's okay, but um, another thing that really happened after you left the, the school and continued with your journey is that I decided that I prefer to have students who are good and passionate about what they're doing come back to the school as teachers than to, to go outside and look for teachers, professional and experienced teachers from, from outside. And when I left, the school, like half of the teachers at the school were my former students or the, the school former students. And for me, this is something which um, I really, I really enjoy. And so, yeah, and maybe, maybe on a deeper level, I, I was looking for someone who will come and replace me at the school because that's what, it, it wasn't something I wanted to do, so... And maybe on a deeper level, I was hoping you, <laughs> you will kind of take over. 
it's a certain point, but it No, you know, it's it's a but this is something I find very unique, you know, because when I think about what is the difference between living in our profession and having a position than just freelancing, it really immediately pulls me to the notion of safety. I just had a conversation yesterday with a good friend and with my wife and I told them like, well, I'm so tired of always pushing something, you know, like always like investing so much energy in just generating the ability to work. I just want to work, you know, like just give me a position in a, in a university, I'm going to teach. And, and to hear that for you, it's like you are in this pinnacle of safety, at least in the dance world, not that it represents, you know, an abundant, materialistic abundance, but still it is a form of safety. And you're like, just waiting to get rid of it and to, and to find somebody to take over. And it's not common because I think that most people really try to, to hold tight to what they know, you know, talking about politics and the conversation we had, it's like, that's more natural. No, you're in a position, you have power, you have authority and you don't want to let go. And, and I think that that's something that uh, is very was very inspiring to be next to. So, so, so let's let's take this notion and and take it dr- straight into the dance. Um, when we dance, you and I, are we willing to um, to stay where we are, where, where where we know each other, and where we feel safe, and with the moves and the technique we have? Or are we willing to um, to crash and see what ha- what's what's happening then? I think it's for me it's really related to the way I like to dance, and um, and the way I like to dance is the way I like to play. And um, when I when you play or when I play, I can sometimes start to be bored to get bored. And it doesn't matter with whom I'm playing. So my interest is not to get too bored. And and when I was directing a dance school at a certain point, I just got really, really bored. And um, and I felt it in my body. Um, there was no... Um, it was over. And of course, like you said, there was this thing of... Um, you know, the, 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 the one person who really kind of was very disappointed <laughs> for me leaving my, my position as an artistic director was my daughter because she was really enjoying saying that her father is a director. And now she's like, what, 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 what can I say about you? And I was like, I was, <laughs> I was like, just say oh, that now I'm, I'm nothing again. And, and and let's see what happens. She she really would say just for the title, and I'm really enjoying um, just having like being a substitute teacher again. It's great. It's great station. Um, and I, I and I you know I I said what I said, but I do wanna also challenge you a little bit on something that uh, me personally I don't see anything with it. But like first. How is it develop? How did how is it going with your big with the other big project with Contact Kids? This parent and teacher. Maybe you can introduce a little bit and share, like, update me a little bit what is happening with that. Um, so Contact Kids is um, basically it's a group dynamic method I've kind of developed, 
which invites um, toddlers, usually at the age of between two and five, to step into the studio with their parents and start playing around. Um, it's not about spending time together on a physical level. So being physical together, what does it mean? It can mean many things and the idea is to allow, uh, the idea is to offer some exercises, some games, super, super simple. But at the same time, to remind everybody in the space, especially the parents, that each one of them, the, the children and the parents, can choose what they want to do. So they can join me when I offer them to do an airplane to each other. But if a child wants to sit outside or wants to eat or even wants to go home, I, I really encourage the parent to respect their, their uh, wish and thus to create a very unusual um, democratic experience and very intimate uh, between a, a, a child and a parent. Um, and the, the development of Contact Kids is, is, is super cute. There's something a little bit exotic about it because it's, uh, it was kind of the, born from a three-minute YouTube clips um, of me playing or dancing with my two two years and four month old uh, daughter Sophie ten years ago almost, which someone uh, took uh, on video and put it on YouTube and it, it became quite viral and I had people starting calling me and writing to me asking me how do I how do I play and move with my with my toddler like that. Um, and it kind of drove me into this experimental phase where I was just uh, bringing children and parents into this into a space, offering offering them um, to play together with the games Sophie and I played together in our living room on the floor, and realizing that what was very natural for us and what was very happy and easygoing and safe uh, for Sophie and I wasn't the same thing for many others. I, I, it, it surprised me. I didn't think it was an issue, but apparently it was. Um, and, I, and that was the, the beginning of a super interesting um, exploration I've been doing for the last decade, basically, working with a lot of um, children and their parents together and working with people who want to work or are working with children and parents um, on a physical level. Basically, what I found out or so far is that um, in, let's say, Western society, most parents, they don't have this tendency to go down to the floor and to just play around with their children in physical games. And when I say physical games, it can be anything. Um, many parents will decide not to go down to the floor. Um, so they keep the, the height 
difference between the themselves and their children. And many of them will, if they will want to play uh, or or spend some quality time with the children, they will look for for something which is a little bit more intellectual or in the head. So they will read a story, they will read a book, or they will play a card a game or other games, which I can relate and I love to do it as well. But the option of just hanging out together and, and doing silly things together, like, like, um, like animals, uh, it's, not, it's mostly it's not an option. And because it's not socially expected and accepted uh, for adults to, to be silly and childlike on the floor, because um, most adults today, they don't feel comfortable enough with their own body and movement in order to do so. Some, sometimes they feel really insecure with their own body. And when it comes to the children, they feel even less secure in kind of playing together with rolling and upside down. So it's like they're trying to avoid it. But the, the, for me, the most interesting thing that we discover is that once they are willing to try it and they are willing to go down to the floor and to be playful, the children become, something changes with the child, something opens, something like there's a light coming in to the, to the, to the space. Children love to play with, the chi- with their parents. They love to see their parents rolling and being and laughing and just being foolish and making noises. Something, something opens up in the child and it's it's something really really unique that i haven't seen in probably in any other child parent um engagement i mean there are but in the index and in the extent of it it happens that it happens in in the studio um it's really unique and the feedbacks really kind of shocked me in the beginning now i know to 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 in in a way even to expect them um but many parents reported that they see a change happening in the physicality of their children in terms of the things they are willing to try how experimentally become in their physicality uh, at home trying to climb things or just kind of take it easy when they are falling. And the change their parents are experiencing on themselves in terms of, not just in terms of their own body movement and body awareness and their willingness to touch and to play, but also in the way they perceive their child's experience. So... Let's say they see the child climbing on the sofa. Maybe now they will allow him to to try, knowing that he might fall or she might fall, but they will probably be okay. And that's for me um, a very, very 
interesting um, step to make as um, as a parent, but maybe also just as a as a person, as a yeah. Mm. So, it's interesting that it's so that it's so uncommon now to or, or at least I don't know because because for me it's it's maybe also because of the contact background it feels so natural to let my kids crash somewhere but so so in the beginning you did you associate this more into like now we, I'm gonna teach people to do contact with their kids and then it developed into something else or what was the or from the beginning for you it had no relation to contact improvisation. No, um, the name contact is it's deceiving. It's, it's probably a very bad choice uh, for a name because even though no, like 99% um, of the parents coming to the class never heard about contact improvisation. So for them, it's, it's okay. But for the, for the contact improvisation community, um, it became very clear that I'm offering contact improvisation classes for children and parents, which is in a way so, but it's really not about that. Um, um, no, I was just trying to, um, to bring children and parents into the space and make them play. I was really struggling in making them play, uh, because I was really surprised by how difficult it was for them to do something that for me was very natural at home. And I guess for you as well. Um, and, um, you know, the day before the first class, it all happened because a group of friends and neighbors just at a, at a certain point told me, okay, just teach us, bring us into the studio and teach us. And the day, the night, the evening before the class, I was really nervous because I didn't really know what to do. And me and Sophie, we sat and we made a list of the games we were playing on the on the on on the floor, and I went into the studio with with the with the list, and I was terrified because I didn't know what to expect. Um, and and I thank God Sophie was there with me. Uh, she was very proud, and she was like uh, um, she was very supportive. And actually, that was the only time she she participated in a class as as a as a teacher with me co-teaching with me it, it never happened again and maybe i can i can say a word about that afterwards but then what i did i we just went through the list and i said okay now we're going to do airplanes and i show we showed them how we do airplanes and people were struggling with airplanes and then i i sh we showed them this way we run backwards and people were trying to run backwards and and then we showed them a different way of rolling on each other and it just became a, a, a massive party um, and the, and the children were going crazy of happiness and the parents were kind of like <gasps> they didn't know what was going on what to do yeah but the, the, and the most important thing is that they all wanted to come back and they wanted to do it again. And that was like th the thing because now I, I know it already. When I do a first class, when I open a course of Contact Kids, so the second class, some, some parents, they come to me and they tell me, you know, my child, he, he, she never stopped talking about this class all week, all week long and we were waiting for that. 
And sometimes I asked the parents and I asked them, you know, what, what do you think she wanted to come back? Why, why did she wanted to come back? What do you and like, and they said, ah, because she was jumping and, and she was rolling and she was um, falling and she likes to do it. And then I sometimes I ask them and I tell them, <clears throat> but you know, when you, when you go with your child to the, to the playground, this is what they do. They jump and they fall and they roll. So basically, this is exactly what's happening in the playground. So why do they want to come back to this class? And, and it, took the, it takes the parents sometimes some, some time to understand that the unique thing about this kind of class is that they roll and they jump and they fall with daddy or with mommy. And this is what the children want to do sometimes, maybe not all of the time, but they, for sure they miss it if they don't do it. So it's really about the, the engaging element. It's not about the, the, just about the falling. It's just about doing it with mommy, uh, which was unique. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, because I've seen the, I've seen the, for me, at least in my, in my mind, I've seen the video of you dancing with Sophie and it was happening in a contact festival. So for me, I was like, yeah, of course, Itai is a father. His daughter comes with him to a festival. There is a jam. She's in the space. They are moving together because they feel comfortable. And, and it looks a little bit like a, you know, like a, a contact dancer doing a, the first contact dance with his daughter. Maybe not the first, but you know, like a first on camera. And, and I think that many people develop this association to what you're doing as if it is really like a platform to teach contact improvisation to children. And, and, uh, and it's funny that somehow in the, in the world of contact improvisation, there is on one hand the, 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 the desire not to, 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 the, to frame what contact is or can be. But on the other hand, like, I heard, I heard some, like I, I was in Freiburg many years ago and I, and I heard people having a discussion about you, if it was okay to brand it contact kids or not okay to brand it contact kids. And now when I hear this story, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's not even related to contact. <laughs> so, so what's the problem? And like, and, but, but now do you feel like that after all these years, do, do people that come in and want to be teachers and want to be involved with, is, the, is there still a legacy that connects it to the dance world or you really manage to, you know, go somewhere else and develop your own niche that is not at all based on that? Because I'm asking because I think that it's, a, it's quite beautiful that you've managed to bring people who are at all not dancer, like just parents who are, they don't, they don't know what contact improvisation and, and they go into something that, I would even imagine could be a preparation for them to maybe later join a contact improvisation class because they are starting to play. They're starting to, to get in touch with their body in a way that has some legacy in the training that we've done together in the studio, no? Or, or am I getting it wrong? With movement, yes. With contact improvisation, as we know it, no. Um, it has to do a lot just with the notion of playfulness and with the aim to remind mostly or maybe only parents 
that playfulness is very, very important in the way we interact with our children. Um, and I, I'll say also something about this discussion you've heard. I relate to it very much. I think on a very uh, deep level, Contact Kids is one big bullshit. Because, um, because what are we doing? What, what am I doing? I invite parents and children to the studio. I take money from them. They drive, sometimes they're in traffic jams, they are, are, arrive after half an hour, 40 minutes. And then for 45 minutes, I just show them stupid games I did with my two-year-old on, um, on the carpet. And that's it. And then they go home happy. So, so what are we doing here? Um, in a more, I feel that in a more healthy world, um, and in a more kind of area, I don't know the word in English, meuvrar, ventilated <laughs> world, um, parents will just have more time to spend with their children. Just because they don't, they're not in a race and they don't struggle to, um, to bring um, food and celery back home. And they will spend more time with their children. And if they will spend more time with their, with their children without, not just by having time, but also by deciding not to have their um, smartphones close to them or needing to take care of another baby around, but just kind of create some intimate quality time with their children, it will happen. That's the only reason I do contact kids, because people are not, they are not aware of the fact that they can do it by themselves. I, I don't. I don't bring any new. I didn't reveal anything. I didn't sit on the top of a mountain and meditate for two weeks and came up with this idea. This idea came out of lack of something. Um, I, I branded it and I gave it a name because people asked me to give it a name uh, because without the structure, without the framing, they, wouldn't ju they just wouldn't see it. And without, in today's world, um, you need to, sometimes you need to frame things to people in order for them to see it. Otherwise, it's out there. But, but if we, but if we, if we have a moment of sincerity, um, contact kids is, is just a pointing out 
that there's something really wrong going on in our society today in terms of parenthood. And if things will just get a little bit um, better or we'll find a way to, to, to engage on a very simple level with our children and, a, and a, on a physical level, because that's the way they know from the very beginning, stupid classes like Conta Kids will just disappear from, from, from the world. And I will be the first happy man free again yeah you know because you know i i think because i know i I knew you personally so when i heard this conversation i was immediately like hey thai is not territorial you know like what's the like just go and meet the person instead of projecting your bullshit and 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 i think and i think that that's very um it's very interesting to hear it from you because uh because that's something like that I think that is also a little bit, uh, I saw this quality, this reactive quality in you as my teacher, which is not sitting on the top of the mountain as you describe it with a vision of where should Matan go as my student, but as a person who is able to be in a room and see like, ah, okay, I get this feedback, so then I'm going to tip it a little bit there, just a little bit. And then I'm going to get that feedback and I'm going to tip it a little bit there. And in a way, for me, this is, a, this is the, the complete opposite of the, you know, the, the guru teacher that, uh, can, that people can associate with somebody who is developing something. And, 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 because I, I, and to hear what you're saying, it, it really, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful way also to see that things can grow even if you're not coming with this, you know, entrepreneurial mission that I'm going to create now, the new thing that every parent would want, but you're just like, okay, th- there is some need and I'm just reacting to this and suddenly it grows and grows and grows. And I wonder, like, I, I can assume that also maybe you are surprised by the, you know, like how, how it happens. And, and because I think that this is, uh, this is a, this is, this is also something that I think that on a very deep level is is missing, like like the the humbleness that it doesn't. It's not about us. Contact kids is not about Itaya Tuv's method of parenting. It's just about people's needs, and very often I see that you know somebody develops a certain idea, and then it becomes about the person and about their idea, and not about the people who are consuming the, the idea. And also like. So, so then it becomes this vertical hierarchy that everybody is serving the top and not that the top is feeding and nourishing the bottom. And, and that's something for me very unique to witness and to see that it's possible because for me, I'm struggling with it, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with, my, with, with not building self-importance. And you are one of the, I'm telling you, like deep in my heart, every time I take myself too seriously, I have an image of you somewhere and I come to ask you, I remember this question, I had one class with you, I came in the group and you did some exercise that took the whole class, like we were just keep dancing the whole class and you didn't say much. And then I came to you at the end of the class and for me, it was such a meaningful class and I came to you and I asked you, so Itai, wh- why did you do this? It was so, it was so uh, meaningful, like what was your idea behind it? And you look at me and it's like, I don't know. <laughs> 
you're and and you did it in such an honesty like man i'm not i'm not trying to bring you into your unique place it's like it's it's you should you're you're doing it i'm just here you know i i i flipped uh i pressed play on the cd and you did it i'm not responsible and that's for me such a reminder of like every, you know like okay don't build self-importance it's not about that when when going into the studio and teaching and and yeah this is um something I, I'm, I'm still you know it's still very inspiring to see even in this great brand that has so many teachers that it's still like you can keep this quality um you know before the you you spoke before about your experience when you came to to vienna and you wanted to kind of kind of uh base yourself and you ex, you you ex, you expressed an experience that i can definitely relate to of about trying to to be an initiator and to and to to produce things and to push towards different directions and i think this is a, an amazing quality um and it's very very important in this world to have to have people who know how to do it it took me some time to understand that um that i i don't really like to push um I like to I like to react. Um, so I, I like in a way I like to be number two. Um, and um, and I also like when things are not clear all the way through, because then it leaves some space for, for your own interpretation of what you are doing, you know so um, Maybe if you came to me back then at the end of the class and you would ask me this question and I, would, I could have given you maybe a very clear answer. And maybe it will, you would learn, you will hear, you would have this answer and you say, mm, that's really great, now I understand something. But at the same time, you could have taken this answer of mine and just think about that and, and, you would, and, and put aside Maybe another thing or two which were very mean, meaningful for you while doing it, but because it wasn't my intention, you would think that it wasn't important. And actually, I think what my students are experiencing and what they're taking from something I do is way more important than my initial intention. So um, and 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 sometimes I do have a clear intention, but I like to see how I bring an intention into class and then it just go in a whole different direction and sometimes it makes me frustrated but um but this is kind of the way i I, I choose you know when when we start the contact kids teachers training, which is a very intense week. I, I tell the people who come um, that I want them at the end of the week to tell me what Contact Kids is for them. And this is, this is what Contact Kids is. Um, because I just, I, I'm just sharing an idea. But then what you do with this idea, this is what makes this idea into, into reality. Um, so that's why whenever... And again, they get they get the, the name and the brand, and they can call themselves contact kids teachers. But eventually, what they're doing, I don't really know. I just hope they they carry with them a sense of um, a reminder of 
of my wish to allow parents and children um, um, and um, a platform to spend quality time together. That's it. In 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 any they they can choose the method they want to use. Um, and maybe this is the kind of the the legacy from contact improvisation into contact kids that I think that it developed also in certain way that you know people came they they danced they took some classes and then they just went on and kept on their own thing with some anchor to what they've learned but also developing their own idea and and allowing it you know the the fact that you don't need to do a once a year uh I don't know like a checking that everybody is following the guidelines <laughs> but there, but for you you I, I guess do you have guidelines when you teach kids and parents I mean I did it once you know I was very inspired uh, after in the covid I took an online class with you it was a recorded class that you shared and I did it with my kids and and I think that I and, and I thought wow like it's uh even though that my kids are used to play a lot with me w- there was a lot of new things that were very exciting for them and then Leali told me hey you have to do it with the kindergarten <laughs> and we did it over zoom and and I was like wow this is like super challenging <laughs> to do <laughs> so I can so and that was zoom you know so I didn't even need to deal with the fact that they are only in the same room screaming it was like you know they were on mute so I cannot imagine what happens when <laughs> you cannot like mute the room <laughs> What? It's like, a, it's like a dream to put all the children on mute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so... Yeah, continue. I want to hear. No, so I'm asking like, so from your very reactive, open, curious teacher, when you enter this room with all the kids, did, did you have to establish something a little bit more structure, a little bit more... You know, anchored, or you just kept this kind of very open principle based experience okay, so here's the thing um i'll 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 say the bottom line the bottom line, and then maybe if you want, I'll explain contact class is by definition chaotic by definition, it's loud and it's unexpectable. Unexpe- Any attempt I will do to try to kind of bring order into it will end up in, in failure. So what am I doing there and what's my role as a teacher? And basically, this is kind of what I'm, we are working on in the teacher's training. This, it's all about group dynamic. What we are, what we are practicing is or what I am practicing is containing a chaotic platform so on the one hand it is chaotic and I can't really control it but on the other hand there's a lot I can do in order to allow everybody to feel contained within the chaos I don't know if it's clear or if it makes any sense But it's very clear. I feel it's right. It's like parenting. It's almost like parenting because that's what I'm confronted very often with my kids, you know, like that their energy is just out there. 
and I cannot control it. And when I try to control it, I have to, inf- I have to use force to some degree. You know, I have to enforce my will on them. And, and then this is not, it's quite frustrating unless you have a very dictatorial character and you enjoy applying force on people. And, but then there's also the other side that, you know, that kids don't get along perfectly and it's not harmonious. And sometimes, you know, they can go and start biting each other. And then, so there is the tension between the, the need to give them the space to freely express themselves. But on the other hand, to do have the acknowledgement of that I am the, the mature person that understand more consequences or like, how do you negotiate it there? Like, what, what is the tools? Maybe you can share a little bit. What are the tools that you said like that I can intervene into the chaos? Aikido. Um, I just I threw a word in order maybe to, to, to get it. But basically, um, I trained in Aikido for many years. And it's, what I like in Aikido is that when you get energy, you don't try to block it. Um, you invite it in, and then you you have you want you decide what you want to do with it in a very hopefully um, delicate way. So, um, and I like to take you know I like sometimes to take those kind of um, um, ideas and to try to put them in matter, in movement, in body, um, in the studio. So. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll share with you a kind of a, a, an exercise I, I, I do, which I feel kind of reflect what's going on with, for a Conti Kids teacher inside this kind of a chaotic environment. We do a, just imagine that I will ask you to cross the room from one side to the other and to, to, to walk from one, one um, side to the other peacefully. And, and firmly, not too, not too fast. But on the way, there will be people waiting for you. And every time you pass beside one person, he will need something from you. He will have a question. Or he would like to try something with you. He will jump on you. He will hold your hand. He will want, she will want to uh, hug you or to to take you somewhere and each one of them will have a will and each one of them will have uh, will will want your attention for something and you don't want to you don't want to tell them go away you don't want to kind of um um how do you say shut them yeah. shut uh, uh, to shut them off yeah you don't want to shut them off but at the same time, you have a mission, remember? And the mission is to, to cross, the, cross the room to the other side, to arrive to the other side. Now, how do you do it? And basically, this is how you run a contact kids class. How do you do it? This is something we are working on. But basically, you need to find your inner strength and flexibility to be present in any given moment with 
whoever is there with you and to be generous generous with them and at the same time remember that you 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 have your own way you need you you need and you want to 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 pass um so so for me this is how you this is this is this is the training for me in, in the contact kids um um realm and it's it's a fascinating uh, process because it's such a personal process you know if you and i will go through the same room with the same interruptions with the same people psychologically energetically we will react differently for every situation and we need to we need to work with that i i don't know i don't remember your question and i'm i'm not sure i answered it but mm-hmm. no you 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 answer i mean i asked you what, what if you have some kind of a guideline for yourself to handle the chaos and i think that what you've just described for me it's a it's a it's a it's a very clear uh, image because uh, i think when i think about interaction interaction with children in various ages I think what is kind of fundamentally mm, different is kind of how like to like the time scales that their needs needs to be met you know like when a kid like when my son Ashley ask uh, uh, papa I want to show you something and I tell him hey I'm on the phone so you know it's it's not it's it's not the end of the story it's not, it's not like oh, okay father is on the phone I'm gonna wait here and I'm, I'm patiently no it's 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 just And, and I think that that's something like that children are teach like at least this is what I'm learning from fatherhood exactly what you're saying like I need to cross straight but the straight has like there has to be some adaptation and to some extent something that I've developed after now that my kids are seven year old is like when I meet adults that are very repulsed by children's presence I become a little bit suspicious and I know because I know that it's like it's something that indicates for me a certain lack of ability to put yourself aside and maybe that's maybe that's and I felt that that you you've 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 been able to do it with me as an adult in the studio so like no wonder that it's like that it's going so well with the contact kid and it's really inspiring to see um, hmm. yeah thank you it wasn't like that in the beginning you know the beginning was kind of tough uh, I did I did try to control it more. But then I ended up a 45 minute session um, completely wet from sweat and with with a headache. And I was like, "Why? What happened that I kind of wh- where did it came from? I, I'm used to teach six hours contact, you know, like no problem. Um, and it took me some time to understand that I'm really struggling in order to, create something which is not natural for this kind of an event um, and I it was I was afraid I, I, I was um, I didn't want I, I was afraid of maybe critic being criticized by the parents coming to the space with their ambitions and their expectations um, and it's all part of like what we need to work on when we are working with Um, in this kind of field because working with adults is great 
working with children, I guess it's great. I've never worked with just children, but as you just said, like putting yourself or, or um, inviting a dynamic between a child and a parent into a space is really a, a big gamble. You can never know, you know, you, and you can never know who are you are, who you're facing and what's the dynamic between the child and the parent. And the beautiful thing about this work for me is that in a 45-minute session, just offering playful moves and hanging out together, you get to see so much nuances and micro-dynamics between a child and a parent, and you really can imagine the way they are kind of acting back at home. And it's, it's really interesting to observe this. Um, you can learn a lot. I mean, I learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, from just a tiny experience I had with doing it over Zoom, I, it really, it was like kind of a, you know, like a, a, a snapshot into the window of what you're probably going through. And I was like, wow, like respect, like you, <laughs> it's like super challenging. Itai, uh, 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 I know I can keep talking a lot, but I also guess that, you know, at a certain point, we will have to finish. And I want to give you some space to share with people that are listening where they can continue uh, learning, consuming, watching, I don't know, things that you're doing. And just share a bit like where people can catch you if they want to study dance with you or they are interested in the Contact Kids universe. Um, so I'm... Um... I'm um, accessible on, on Facebook and you can basically what I'm doing now is I, I teach, I do teachers training for people who want to work with children and parents through this method that I call it contact kids. Um, and usually I, so far we're doing kind of like two, three teachers training around Europe each year and one in Israel, so you can um, um, you can find me on contakids.com. Maybe I don't know. You can we can share a link later on. And in terms of yeah, I will put it in the description. Thank you. And I also teach contact improvisation in various events and festivals um, around the world. But I'm also very much now at least uh, available for um, to come and to teach. Uh, wherever, um, like, you know, weekend intensives. And um, I like also to teach dance. Um, I mostly do. I love flow work, obviously. And I, I incorporate a lot of from, from, from martial arts as well. Um, yeah, um, that, that's basically it. Um, if you want to see more precious and insightful moments, make sure to check our short clips playlist. To see longer interviews, check out the full episode playlist just below it. And to be notified for all future videos, click the subscribe button and don't forget to hit the notification bell. See you on the next episode.